Welcome to the Thought Leaders to Watch podcast. I'm Catherine Mora, founder and CEO of Change Empire Books. We help coaches, speakers, and entrepreneurs write and publish quality books and get them out into the world. We believe that thought leaders are made through a combination of quality of service, planning, and authenticity. Do you want to impact lives and leave a legacy? Stick around until the end of the show and we'll reveal how you could be our next guest on the Thought Leaders to Watch podcast. Let's get started. Your host, Starlett Henderson here with this episode's thought leader, Terry Gibbons. Terry is out of brighterhighered.com. Terry, how are you doing today? I am doing very well. Thank you. You're welcome. So your website, brighterhighered.com. Let's start there. What are you guys achieving or trying to achieve at, um, at your company? Well, we're doing, we're on two tracks right now. The first is that we're trying to change higher ed. (laughs) And basically what that means is we've created a platform to help leaders in higher education learn the skills they need to be successful. And part of that has to do with just training. You know, people in higher ed don't have a lot of training in management or how to run a college. So we provide that. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing we do a lot of is diversity and inclusion training. And so that's under Radical Empathy, which we'll be talking about because that's my new book coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's put that right at the front of the front of the spot here. So um, just to to recap, you're you're training people who are already in higher ed to just improve the experience for themselves through management and Mm -hmm. then for the students and the faculty, I imagine, through diversity and inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's really critical right now because higher ed is going through a lot of change and there's a lot of uh, change in terms of demographics. So the diversity and inclusion is important, but also just the fact that, you know, I know I, I, I gained this experience myself when I became an administrator as a, I went from faculty to administrator yeah. and I just had no experience in anything related to management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to, it was like drinking from a fire hose. And so I'm trying to create an experience for faculty that and staff that helps them understand what are some of the critical things they need to know to be successful and not have to basically just learn on the job. Right. Or reinvent the wheel or, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, I got some best practices that you're putting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You think of professors going from the classroom to managing a department and then maybe, mm-hmm. even, you know, managing, um, you know, student affairs or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. It just yeah. sounds daunting. Um, so you, you started out as um, a professor, you said, and then moved into administration yourself. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about um, that experience and even just going up into through school. Your, yeah. Yeah, so I am a first-generation college-goer, and I was very lucky to get to go to Stanford back in the 80s, and I I also ran track, so my first two years at Stanford, I ran track, and my claim to fame there is I got to compete against Jackie Joyner, who was, you know, a big Olympic star. (laughs) She was at UCLA, and, uh, but yeah, I I really enjoyed uh, Stanford. It was an amazing experience, but I was kind of burnt out after my first four years of college and I wanted to go on to graduate school, but I took some time off and worked in the nonprofit sector. So then I went to UCLA to get my PhD and my first teaching job was at University of Washington, which was great because that was close to my family. Mm-hmm. But my, um, my husband, uh, his job didn't go so well there and I got a job offer at ET Austin. So I was there for 12 years and 
I, when I got there, I was immediately pulled into starting the Center for European Studies. My, my research in political science is around European politics. Okay. And with that experience, they decided I could be a vice provost, which is a really big <laughs> jump. And I was like, okay, um, all of a sudden, I'm going from running a little center in the College of Liberal Arts mm-hmm. to running the entire curriculum for the, one of the biggest institutions in the country. <laughs> you so, know of what you speak. I, I do. This is exactly why I created Brighter Higher Ed, because I was like, wow, you know, I, it was like drinking from a fire hose. And I immediately had to deal with like personnel issues and legal issues, things I didn't know anything about. And well, I learned quickly, put it that way. And the other thing I talk a lot about is my mentors. And so mentors played a really key role in my success because I, it, you know, and, you know, I'm an African-American woman and you know, the, there's just not a lot of us in higher ed. So, you know, I always say it's okay to have, you know, white males as your mentors, you know, they're the ones who can really, they know the ropes and they can right. teach you along the way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I'm very grateful to, you know, there were several people who really helped me to make the transition into administration. All right. So I'm going to take a left turn for you. I think I'm going to put some dots together. I just want to make sure to be a mentor um, to me that radical empathy piece comes into it. And yes, it so does. I know you said you're, um, you're, you've just finished a book We're you know, recording right now at the end of February, it may be April by the time, you know, everyone hears and listens to this, but the book is radical empathy. Mm-hmm. And so these are, um, it, uh, and I believe that's a characteristic of, of mentorship. So um, tell me more about the book and um, how you learned that this was a component um, that you had in you could cultivate in you and could pass on. Right. And it's interesting because um, <laughs> for any Star Trek fans out there, um, I just I always remember the Star Trek episode I watched when I was growing up called The Empath. And it was about this woman who not only felt other people's feelings, she mm-hmm. took on their you know, like if they had pain, she literally would take oh. out the other pain and take on their injuries and so on. And so I always thought, wow, you know, that's such a cool thing. And I, I, I always felt like I was very empathetic mm-hmm. um, and that I could you know, I always felt like I could feel what other people were feeling. And it was easy for me to step in other people's shoes. And so over time, as I got into leadership positions, I realized this really is an important skill to be able to step in somebody else's shoes and, and understand how they're feeling. And so I utilized that a lot as a leader. But then I also realized as we, you know, uh, you know, we saw this whole series of events with the the uprisings and you know police issue, issues and all of that. And I was realizing, you know, we really aren't making enough progress in terms of you know equality, social justice, and so on. So I realized that empathy isn't enough. And so I really started looking inside myself, and I realized that you know empathy starts with being vulnerable and willing to look at yourself and really being open to the experiences of others, but also practicing empathy. Practicing empathy is critical as well as I think the two last steps are really the most important, which is taking action and creating change. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, in terms of the mentorship and leadership, you know, that's what my mentors were doing. They weren't, and I I say sometimes you can call it being supporters, you know, versus mentors. Mentors may give you advice and have empathy for you, but supporters and, you know, people who have radical empathy take action. You know, they, they offered me these positions. They, they, you know, provided me the support that I might not have gotten otherwise. And that's, what's really critical is taking the action. And, you know, they created change. I was the first African-American woman to be a vice provost at UT Austin, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was the first black woman, well, first black person and woman to be the provost at Menlo College, that's creating change. And so the people who helped me along the way, 
you know, they were doing, they were practicing radical empathy. And so this book came out of all of those experiences and realizing that we needed to do more. We all need to do more. It's not just, you know, these guys over here or, you know, us over here. It's Mm -hmm. everybody needs to decide that we're going to create change. Sure. And you're, and through not only, um, like you said, um, seeing it from other people's point of view or putting it in their shoes, but like doing something about it. Yes. And, but, you know, and I want to emphasize, I really focus on myself. If you, if you get the book, you'll see, I spend a lot of time talking about my own bias, the way I was perpetuating injustices, you know, and really understanding my own role in kind of understanding the broader situation around structural racism. So there's really, truly something that everybody can do. Absolutely. Yes. And actually each chapter ends with a set of actions you can Action take. steps, right? Yeah. Cause That's you right. told me earlier too, that you, you know, you're, um, used to being a political science writer, right? And I imagine yes, exactly. steps, right? I mean, like, what are you mm-hmm. going to do with all that study? You're going to have to make change. So mm-hmm. each chapter has action steps. That's very, very, very mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Um, the thought leading piece around this, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of it, right? Like you have to do something, you have to, um, you know, try be in someone else's shoes. Um, but, you know, let's start or back it up to what does being a thought leader mean to you? And how are you um, taking that mantle forward in your work? So for me, being a thought leader actually took a few years of really learning. So when I I left the provost's office at Menlo College uh, three and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And so what was important to me was to really dive in and try to understand what are the real issues in higher ed? And how can I offer something that's going to be, you know, useful and and different in many ways. And so I, I just kind of dived in and, and, you know, you'll see if you're on LinkedIn, you'll see me on there all the time. I'm, I'm having conversations and, and discussions. And, you know, uh, it, it was really a sense of trying to get a better p- picture of the broader issues in higher ed from the other thought leaders, mm-hmm. but also developing my own expertise. And so for me, it's really critical as a thought leader that I come at it with facts, not just, you know, making stuff, you know, not that I would make stuff up. I'm a researcher, right, that's, yeah. you know, what it is. So, <laughs> but, you know, it's taking my own instincts as a researcher and saying, okay, I see this is a problem. Let me try to understand it better. And then let me offer up my, you know, advice, opinion in a way that people can find helpful. So, for example, one of the things I'm working on is the fact that higher ed is we actually long before COVID, we were in crisis financially you know, with demographic change and so on. So and actually, I've been writing a column in Inside Higher Ed for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, providing advice and so on. So to me, being a thought leader is just it's, it's integral to what I do. If I'm going to be a leader in higher ed, then but the, the underlying part of it is you know, developing the, the right knowledge. Right. So, learning. Yeah. I, as soon exactly. as you started describing your, you know, it's not thought leading first, it's thought learning, right. Learning from mm-hmm. others and then learning yourself. Like, what do I even mm-hmm. think about this situation? Do I know mm-hmm. enough about this situation to decide what I'm thinking? Exactly. So yeah. Thought, no, that's, that's absolutely true. Thought learning and then thought mm-hmm. leading. Mm-hmm. What are, what do you think is the secret? And I, I mean, radical empathy is a, it's not a big secret, right? We would just spend Mm -hmm. some time talking about it, but you know, if you had to um, point to um, some of the things that were in you, some um, turning points or milestones that helped you continue to do this work, what would that secret be? Well, you know, one of them was becoming a mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, 
you know, I have two lives I'm responsible for now. And, you know, it just helped me tune in more to my own, um, you know, what did I want to do for my children? You know, what, what kind of world do I want my two boys to come into? And, you know, I, I really think that that is such a, you know, an important, um, you know, life change when you, yes. you experience that process of being responsible for somebody in that way. Um, but then I would say, um, you know, there, there's certain time periods of life that I, you know, feel like I can kind of see different, you know, I call my twenties, my years of cognitive dissonance and, you know, my thirties, you know, I got married, I started having kids, you know, so I started settling down. And then in my forties, I feel like I was really kind of getting a better grip on who I am as a person and who I want to be. And now I'm in my fifties, I feel like um, you know, leaving academia was a huge thing. Um, yeah. Yes, that just really changed my life completely in many ways, you know. Uh, but although I'm still doing a lot of the same things I did as, as a professor, um, but it gave me a whole different perspective of, you know, what it means to be working in the worlds of educational technology mm-hmm. um, and what people, you know, out there, you know, are, are talking about. Mm-hmm. So, um I would say it's this willingness to learn, as we talked about before, but it's also being open, you know, and saying, I'm just going to open up and see what, you know, the universe is trying to tell me. (laughs) What are the problems and how can I help them or mm -hmm. not help the problems, but help with the solution? Exactly. It's about finding solutions. And, and that's something I work on every single day. So can you share, you had your own book, but a book that you'd like to recommend to our audience? Yes, absolutely. One of my favorite books of the last year is Yagiyasi's Homegoing. And the the reason I like that book is because it really got me in touch with what it was like. You know, she talks, it's a story that starts off in Africa and one of, there's two sisters and one ends up in the U.S. and as a slave and the other stays in Africa and kind of how these two families diverge. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I read a book that helped me feel a connection to Africa in a way that I I hadn't felt before. And so it got me interested in reading other books and and so on in in this, you know, arena. And so it's Yagiyasi, Y-A-A-G-Y-A-S-I is her name. (laughs) It's a hard name to remember. It is, but but the title is Homegoing. Yes, Homegoing. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful book. Yeah, I love those ones that really touch our lives and who who we are and spark some imagination about where we may have came from. Mm -hmm. that's a good recommendation. Mm -hmm. So what's next for you? Oh boy. So as we, we mentioned, my book is coming out. Um, I'm really thinking hard about, uh, how I want to kind of implement radical empathy. And so I'm doing trainings and, and work on diversity, but also, um, you know, developing my platform. So getting out there and speaking and, um, you know, just trying to, to, uh, connect with people in different ways. So, you know, social media right. events. I mean, we're in the COVID era, so everything's virtual. Virtual. Most of things um, are, yeah. And it looks like yes. they may be for a while still. Yes, we're it's gonna take a while for us all to get vaccinated. But um, you know, the uh, but you know, really kind of broadening my perspectives, not just focusing on people in higher ed or, or people in the business sector, but you know, I just did a talk to high schoolers and um that was really enjoyable, especially since I have a son who's in high school. <laughs> Um, so really trying to broaden my reach and, and, um, you know, say that radical empathy is for everybody. 
It is. And, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot. Like if there's one thing, cause you said, you know, everybody can do their part and you're going around telling people what they can do. What's one thing you can leave us with that we can start thinking about um, to implement radical empathy in our lives. And the, the thing I always tell people like my neighbors and stuff, take a look at the neighborhood you live in, you know, who lives near you, who doesn't and why, and, you know, do one thing that makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> You go and talk to somebody in your neighborhood who you may not have thought about talking to before, or, you know, just try to, to reach outside of your normal range of people Mm -hmm. and and get to know somebody different. Yeah. Very good. And super implementable. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. maybe bring a mask just in case. um, Yes, please. (laughs) But definitely something that, you know, you can say hi to or follow up. I, um, yeah, I new neighborhood. I sent Christmas cards. I'm like, I can't, I don't feel like I can come say hi to everybody, but here's a card for newbies on the block. Yeah. And the other thing you can do though, is um, get on next door. I've met people there and, you know, you can communicate, get people's contact info, you know, and actually, you know, I have walking because we walk more now. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have met some neighbors, you know, from a safe distance, but, you know, we kind of yell at each other and say hi and and then we can get on the phone and and email and, and so on. So, so that's actually been a good thing to do because I've probably gotten to know more of my neighbors since COVID than I did before. (laughs) Uh, I, you know, I hesitate, but I guess the phrase is a blessing in disguise or a silver lining. Mm -hmm. Well, Thanks again, Terry. And your website was brighterhighered.com. And yeah. uh, you want people to reach out to you on LinkedIn. Yes, absolutely. Just right. look for Terry Givens. And look for that <laughs> book, Radical Empathy. Thanks again. Yes, thank you. Catherine Mora here. Thank you so much for listening to the Thought Leaders to Watch podcast. If you are a successful coach, speaker, or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit changeempire.com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, please share this episode on social media. Just do a screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Thought Leaders to Watch. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, changeempire.com, or follow me on LinkedIn as Catherine Moore. We're on Facebook and Instagram as Change Empire Book Coaching. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.